had such an awesome night last night uh, with the prayer summit with uh, different pastors and leaders and, and Salem First. It was just powerful. And um, I just want to thank the Lord for um, our superintendent, Chris, who um, is here today. And he's, helped, he's been helping me out in this uh, landing field here called Salem First. He's been blessing me, helping me, supporting me and my wife. And we're just so thankful for him and for his life. And I'm glad you got voted again because you're going to be hanging out with me for a while. So, But uh, he wants to introduce our guest speaker. So thank, give, give Chris a hand. Well, to Salem First, I want to say thank you for, uh, for your hospitality and for helping us last night with the prayer summit. I'm going to move this up because I just can't hear Brian and see Brian. Uh, we did have our prayer summit here last night. Some of you were involved in that, and you already know the, the internal code that we're operating under now. It's, it's the new um, iOS version number 10.32. Um, and the code word now is bodacious. Say it with me. Bodacious. And that is, uh, Brian taught us that that is a hybrid word. It's made of two words, bold and audacious. And that really summarizes well what God has done in Brian Work. Brian uh, currently serves as the pastor of Chapel of Change, Free Methodist Church in Long Beach, California. And Brian has a book that is out on the table. It's called Young Man Arise. And uh, it's $15, and you can see Jonathan, his youth pastor. And Jonathan, thank you for being here. Jonathan and I have gotten to know each other a little bit. And uh, so Jonathan will be available after the service. And I'm not kidding you. I want you to buy two copies. Why? Because you see, in the Christian life, it's not just about us. Everything is about those who aren't here yet. And so I want you to buy two copies, one for yourself and one to give to a friend. In fact, every time you hear an announcement here at Salem First or something that's going on, Pastor Gene talked a little bit about the seniors' luncheon. That ought to be an opportunity for us to bring a friend. We heard Christina talk about the Mops group. That is an opportunity for us to bring a friend. We heard about um, the, the New Believers class, another opportunity to bring a friend. And that is critical because if we quit bringing our friends, the kingdom of God through our local churches kind of stops. But I want you to hear what Brian has done in Long Beach, California over the last five to six years. They have literally, um, he'll let you, I'll let him tell most of the story. But literally he went from a Bible study in his home of seven, eight, nine, ten people to now having three different campuses and five services on Sunday morning. He's planted two churches and oh by the way those churches, he now runs on, a, on any given Sunday morning about 1,000 in worship attendance. I was at the Mosaic Conference this past year, and Mosaic is a large group of interconnected churches who are intentionally building multicultural churches, churches with black and white and Latinos. And, and if you go down to Brian's church, you know, he had, we were praying for him a while back because he was having Polynesian revival. Right? Right on, man. So if you go to Brian's church sometime you're down in Southern California, I really want to encourage you, go to Chapel of Change where God is offering fresh hope. 
But this morning, we brought chapter change with us. And I want to present to you my good friend, Reverend Brian Wood. Give him a big hand, pal. Amen. I'm going to use this. Amen. Thank you, Superintendent Chris. Um, I'm blessed to be here this morning, and uh, thank God for Superintendent Chris. Um, we met a couple times across the nation at different cities in the nation. So one day he got to come back to Long Beach. I got to show him around uh, how we do it in the LBC. Um, I'm, I'm blessed to be here today, and I thank you guys for your hospitality. I want to uh, thank uh, Pastor Andrew and his wife uh, for receiving us. I've been hanging out uh, with Pastor Andrew the last yesterday, um, and uh, we've been talking, and we ate, and we cruised uh, a little bit through Salem with the top down. Um, slanted to the side a little bit. And uh, I'm, I'm, I want to report, I want to report uh, to Salem First Free Methodist Church uh, that you have an awesome pastor and pastor wife uh, here, right here, right now, uh, through Pastor Andrew and his lovely wife. Um, believe me, I was, I was asking questions, I was listening, I felt like I was a part of an examination board, I uh, I was I was being sneaky. I got to confess to you, I was being sneaky. And um, our pastor here, Pastor Andrew, man, he has vision. Uh, he has passion for the Lord, and uh, most importantly, I believe uh, he has a heart uh, for those that are far from Christ. He's a soul winner. You you need to be. You know, Salem, the city of Salem. Um, is in a transition right now where there's an influx of people that are coming in uh, that are far from Christ. And so uh, if, if this church is going to go to the next phase of God's plan for them, which I believe it is, you're going to have to become a soul-winning church. You're going to have to become a soul-winning church. You're going to you're gonna have to lay down your life as Jesus did to reach those uh, that are far from Christ. And I'm here to report I'm excited that you got somebody at the helm uh, of this church that is going to lead this church to the next to the next phase in God's plan because I already see this place filled up to the glory of God. I, I already see this place with multiple multiple services. I already see this place with lots of youth and lots of babies and lots of families that come in to Jesus and worshiping the Lord. I already see I already see miracles happening at this altar where people's hearts are are being spiritually going under spiritual surgery, amen, because when the Holy Spirit works, he commits spiritual surgery, and I see people getting healed, I, people, I see people getting saved, and so I'm excited, I might have to move down to Salem and just watch this firsthand, um, amen, amen, so um, I, I come here this morning for two primary uh, reasons, just two primary reasons, one Ultimately, I want to lift up the name of Jesus. Anybody love the name of Jesus in here today? I love, I love the name of Jesus. I, I want to lift up the name of Jesus. I believe uh, that the city of Salem needs Jesus, amen, and that the first free Methodist church is going to give them Jesus. And so I'm excited. Uh, I love Jesus. Uh, I follow Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I pray to Jesus. I follow Jesus. I teach Jesus. I preach Jesus. I can't get enough of Jesus Christ. 
can't get enough. Uh, I also come today to share with you the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I want to I give you a modern-day miracle of what the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can do in the life of someone who repents, in the life of someone who surrenders, in the life of someone who follows after Jesus. Listen, I am a, I am a, his, I am a student of history, and I, I love to read about what God done, has done throughout the years, and I love to read about the, uh, you know, the past revivals, but, but I want to confess to you today that I want to see God move in today. I want to be a part of what God is doing now. I, I want to ride the wave of the Holy Spirit in 2017. And uh, I love to read about the past, but I don't want God to pass me by. I want, I want God to use me uh, uh, as much as he can for the advancement of his kingdom. And I know that you feel the same way. I know that, that you want God to use this church. I know that you want God to use this church as a, peak, a beacon of hope and a beacon of, of, of peace and a beacon of restoration in this city and in this region. And so I want to share with you uh, a modern-day testimony of God's restoration power. When, when, when people first see me today, uh, they can never imagine the darkness that God has lifted me up out of. They could never imagine the hole in which God has found me in. Um, when people first see me today, they could never imagine that uh, I come from a drug-infested background. I come from a gang-infested background. In fact, the only hint that you get um, that I do come from a gang-infested background and a drug-infested background and a broken background is when you learn I was arrested at the age of 16 years old uh, for a gang-related murder. I was tried as an adult, and in the Compton, California uh, courthouse, I was sentenced to life in prison. Uh, not five years, not ten years, but life in prison. And I know I, I share my story around the, the nation, and a lot of people think I'm lying when I first say that. So I brought my first prison ID so that you can see I'm telling the truth on which God, from which God brought me out. If you look at my ID, it's red for high classification, and there's a big L on the left of it. That does not stand for love. That stands for life. So I know how it feels to be a person stuck in hopelessness. I know how it feels to be a person who feels uh, a brokenness. I know how it feels to be battered by despair. And I know how it feels to be depressed. I know how it feels to be far from Christ. But I also know how it feels to repent from my sins. I also know how it feels to surrender my heart to Jesus. I also know how it feels to receive the gospel from someone who shared it with me and to surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I know how it feels uh, to have my life restored. I know how that feels. And today what I want to do is I want to weave my story through an encounter that Jesus has in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I would, I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 11. I, I want to I wrap my story around the scripture this morning because I, I firmly believe that my story may inspire you, uh, but it's the word of God that's going to change you. 
it, it, my story may, may point you to Jesus, but if there's going to be a lasting transformation in your heart, it's going to come through the Word of God. And so I don't want us just to think about my story today. I want us to also think about what thus saith the Lord, uh, because someone needs uh, a touch from Jesus today, and it's going to come through His Word. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 11. When everybody's there, say amen. And by the way, you could talk back to me. Uh, just don't get crazy, okay? Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Let me read this encounter. It says, I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. Everybody say widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Another translation says he had compassion on her. And he said, don't cry. Someone say, don't cry. Verse 14. Then Jesus went up and he touched the coffin they were carrying him on. I love this about Jesus. Just hold your thought for a second. We're going to read on, but I have to point this out. Um, I love this about our Savior because he doesn't just bless us from a distance. I, I love this about Jesus. He doesn't just say, you know what, God bless you, have a nice day, I'm praying for you. No, Jesus comes up and he does what, 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 what really he's not supposed to do because he's a Jewish man and he's not supposed to touch a coffin because that would render him ceremonially unclean. But guess what? Jesus loves us so much. He loves us so much that he enters into our pain. He, he enters into our pain and he touches the coffin. Um, I, I, I want to challenge you, uh, Salem First Church. We have to be a church today that doesn't just say, God bless you to our neighbors, but we need to go to our neighbors. We need to knock on the door to our neighbors. We need, we need to connect with them with the, through the love of Christ. So Jesus, in this passage of scripture, he touches the coffin and it says in the last part of verse 14, and the bearers stood still, and Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. Someone say, get up. Someone needs to get up this morning. Not now, not now. Somebody's got to get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And I love this last phrase. It's one of the most powerful phrases in the Bible. Listen to this last phrase. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. This is a powerful phrase right there. It's a powerful phrase. The, the LBC, I, at my church, we give the LBC translation. Um, that means Long Beach City. And, and the LBC translation means, says, and Jesus gave him back to his mama. Gave him back to his mama. Someone say, dear mama. I, I, I love this encounter um, that Jesus has with this broken family. Jesus is traveling with his crew into a city. And as he enters into the city, he collides headfirst with a funeral procession. 
Jesus is entering into the city. As he enters into the city, a funeral procession is coming out. And in this very moment in the text, what we are actually seeing is life colliding with death. In, in this particular moment, what we're actually seeing is joy colliding with sorrow, is, is peace colliding with despair. We see Jesus uh, going head on with a funeral procession that represents death. In this very moment, we see a revival of fresh hope in the midst of a hurting family. One of the most beautiful pictures of restoration in, in the center of a family uh, in the Bible. And, and I don't know if you're aware, but there are many hurting families in the, sa- in the city of Salem today. And you ain't got to go too very far. You could throw a rock and hit about a hundred of them. There are many hurting families in this city, and they're waiting for the body of Christ that represents Jesus himself to get up and collide head-on with them. Life colliding with death. Peace colliding with sorrow. Joy colliding with despair. One of the most, the, one of the major themes in the Bible is that of restoration. Restoration. Um, you see it all throughout the scriptures. That if a life calls upon the name of Jesus, and if that life stays in the hands of God long enough, Eventually, God would restore the beauty in that life. Eventually, God would restore that life back to its original purpose. Not only does God restore our hope, not only does God restore our peace, but he also restores our dignity. He restores our dignity. I'm reminded of a sister in the Bible by the name of Rahab. Anybody remember Rahab? Rahab, when she first encountered God's people, and when she first encountered God, she was a prostitute. She was a prostitute. Everybody looked down upon her. But then when God got a hold of her life, the Lord began to restore her life. The Lord began to restore her peace. Not only that, God began to restore her dignity. And on top of that, God messed around and placed Rahab in the family of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Imagine that, a prostitute, someone who's an outcast, someone whose society looks down upon, but she repents from her sins, she surrenders to God, and God restores her in such a way and messes around and puts her in the family of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, yeah, you check it out for yourself, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Mentions the lineage of Jesus. Listen, if we would see an earthly picture or a picture of the earthly family of Jesus right in the middle of kings and priests, you would see a repentant prostitute smiling because she know if it had not been for the grace of God, she wouldn't be there. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of Jesus. This is the power of, of the Holy Ghost working through the local church. I, I want to I wrap our thoughts around just three quick reflections in this encounter with Jesus. Uh, the first thing, person that I want us to think about is the young man. Someone say young man. Jesus in this text encounters a young man, but he's not an ordinary young man. He's not a young man going off to high school. 
He's not a young man going off to this college down the street right here. Um, he's not a young man going off to get married. He's not a young man going off to forge a family for his own. But he's a dead young man. He's dead. And somehow, some way, the Bible doesn't say, but this young man died before his time. He died, uh, presumably, before he could ever have a family. He died before he could ever uh, uh, get married. He died before he could ever fulfill his dreams. He, he, he actually died because he was a young man. He died before he actually ever grew up. Solomon, uh, in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes 7, asked this question to his generation that I think is relevant to our generation. He says, should we die before our time? Should we die before our time? This young man in Luke chapter 7 is a picture of many of the young men and women in our generation right here in the city of Salem that are dying before their time. I believe that it's a prophetic picture of many of the young men and the young women that are in the city, that, that are dying before their time. Whether we realize it or not, there are a lot of young men and women that are being carried out of the city never to return. Never to return. Right here, right now, right outside our doors. Some are being carried out in caskets like this young man in the Bible. Others are being carried out in shackles. Shackles. Handcuffs. Never to return. I grew up in the Los Angeles area, and there was a gang life that ripped my family apart. My oldest brother was shot at the age of 15 years old, uh, and he died. Two other brothers were shot multiple times in separate occasions, uh, but they uh, miraculously survived. And it was a gang life that shaped my early childhood, and I was a little kid back then. And I would watch the gang members at my house get drunk and get high, and they told me that I swore that I would never be like them. But the sad thing was, that's exactly what happened. Eventually, I started to walk like a gang member. I started to talk like a gang member. I started to dress like a gang member. And at the age of 12 years old, I made one of the most uh, terrible mistakes of my life when I joined the neighborhood gang. And my life went on a downward spiral. By the time I was 14 years old, the devil tried to kill me for the first time. I was in my brother's lowrider car. And we were sitting down, ready to go to the park. And from less than 10 feet away, some rival gang members opened fire on us. And out of multiple bullets that came our way, by the grace of God, only one hit me in my left arm. And it went through and through, broke my arm. I was 14 years old, and it paralyzed my arm for over a year. And I remember my brother driving me to the hospital that day. And as we pulled out to the hospital, I could still hear the nurse coming out. And she was screaming, you're so young. You're so young. I had just turned 14 years old. And they escorted me to a room. They began to cut off all my clothes because they didn't know if I was going to go into surgery or not. And I remember sitting in that room. My arm was broken. It was paralyzed. It was swollen up. And I was laying down. And about 45 minutes later, I heard a familiar voice crying in the hallway. And as that voice got closer to my room, I said to myself, I said, oh, my God, that's my mom. I'm in trouble now. And my mom, she came into the room with tears in her eyes, and she was grateful that I was alive because I didn't realize it, but um, uh, my brother had died at that same hospital nine years prior to that. And there she had, saw me 
her baby boy, her youngest boy, almost dead because of the bullet of a gang member. And the sad thing was, I got released out of the hospital about two weeks later, but I did not heed the warnings of God. How many know that God gives us warnings? How many know that when we stray off, God will, in his love and in his mercy, will try to get us back on track. And he'll, he, will, he will touch us through people and situations to try to get our attention. And I didn't realize it back then, but, but when I look back now, I had a calling upon my life even back then. But I wouldn't listen to the warnings of God. And I rebelled. And I ran away from home. And I began to sleep in the streets. I began to ditch school, and I, I, I want to say this. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I was not an evil kid. I didn't wake up every morning with blood in my mouth and trying to kill people. No, I just developed a bad attitude. My dad taught me about Jesus when I was little. My dad brought me to church, thank God, when I was little. Thank God, because when I was older, at least I had something to turn back to. But I rebelled, and I wouldn't listen, and I developed a bad attitude, and I started off doing, doing small bad things like running away from home. I was the king of running away from home. Every time I didn't get my way, I ran away from home. And I began to spray paint on the wall and do, do small stuff until I began to go in and out of jail until at the age of 16 years old, I found myself arrested for the last time. I remember in the morning they came and arrested me. I was sleeping in my room, and I heard a knock on the door, and I thought it was my grandma waking me up, but it wasn't. Instead, it was the sheriff's department, and they banged down my door. They put their gun to my head, and they said, get down, get down, and they handcuffed me, and they began to escort me through the living room, and it was one of the most shameful mornings of my life because as I walked through the living room, half of my family was in the corner, and to this day, to this day, right now, in my mind's eye, I can still see my grandma, the one who helped raise me, the one who uh, rubbed Vicks Vapor Rub on my chest when I was sick, the one who fed me soup. To this day, I can see her crying in the corner as she yelled out, what did you do? What did you do? And I put my head down because I was so ashamed. And they escorted me to the cop car that was double parked. And I was arrested for one gang-related murder and one attempted murder, and I fell for the lie of the streets, which is really the lie of the devil, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and that is good for a 16-year-old as it is for a 60-year-old, and I remember being in the back of that cop car, handcuffed, the detective came, and he drove me off, and I began to stare out at the people going to work or school, and for them, it was the start of another normal day, but for me, it was the beginning of the end. I was slipping into darkness. You can get the book and read all the juicy details. I'm just summarizing today. But I remember the detective, he turned around, and he slapped me with his words. He said, you better take a good look at them streets, boy, because you'll never see them again. Slipping into darkness just wanted to get my feet wet. I just wanted to party. I just wanted to have fun. I just, I just wanted to hang out just, just a couple nights. But listen, listen, especially all you young people, sin is deceptive. It will fascinate you, and then it will assassinate you. I, I didn't want to get sentenced to life in prison. I didn't want to go to jail. I just wanted to have fun. But, I, but I, I put my toe in, and I ended up slipping in and drowning and breaking my spiritual neck. They hauled me off. Booked me. A year later, 
I was in the L.A. County Jail in a one-man cell, 17 years old, with a bald head and a red jumpsuit, skinnier than I am now. They took me to the Compton, California courthouse in a room as big as this was filled with people. When my dad towards the front, the judge hit her hammer and said, Mr. Worth, we sentence you to life in prison. Life. Not five years, not ten years, life. I remember they took me back to the L.A. County Jail and they put me in a one-man cell. And I remember sitting there and I was... I was crushed by despair. I was crushed by hopelessness. I, the, the cell was so small, I could touch both sides of it with my hands. And, and it was rat infested. It was dark. And I was 17 years old. And my life was over. And I was sitting there. I was sitting there by myself. And this leads me to my next reflection in the text. Not only do I want you to think about the young boy, but I want you to think about the mother. The mother. You see, the Bible identifies only one person in Luke chapter 7 that was with that young man that day. Out of everybody that was in the crowd, the Bible identifies only one person. You know who it was? It wasn't his homeboys. It wasn't his girlfriend. It wasn't the people that he kicked it with. It wasn't the people that he went to school with. It wasn't the ones he got high with. It wasn't the ones he partied with. You know the only one that the Bible identifies that was with him when, the, when all the wheels fell off and the hubcaps fell off of his life. The Bible identifies. You know who it was? It was his mama. Dust had cleared, when the thing had settled down, when everything had collapsed and there, was, and there was nothing to his life and the dream that he had never came true, there was only one person there identified and it was his mother. It was his mother. And she wasn't, she wasn't a normal mother either. She wasn't a Brady Bunch type of mother. She was a nitty-gritty type of mother. She was a mother that, that knew how it felt to endure pain for her family. She was a mother that knew how it felt to endure pain. You know why I, you know why I know this? You know why I know this? Because the Bible says she's a widow. You know what that means? That means she had watched her husband, his father, die. She experienced death before, and now she had to see her son travel the same path of death that his father a lot of kids out here that are fatherless, and they need a church that will be their father. They need a church that will come under the, over them. They need a church that will receive them. They need a church that will pray over them. They need a church that will stand by them because they ain't got no more family left. They ain't got nobody there left. You know how the world, the world will forsake you, but they need a church. They need Salem First Free Methodist Church that will throw caution to the wind and with the love of Christ stand next to them. I'm telling you, if you, re if you go out to this community, people will start running into this church. I, I want you to notice why Jesus stopped. Notice why Jesus intervened. It wasn't because of the it wasn't because of the boy. The boy was dead. Jesus didn't stop because of the boy. It wasn't because of the crowd. It wasn't because of the crying of the people. That's not why Jesus stopped. You know why Jesus stopped? The Bible says why Jesus stopped. You know what the Bible says? It says, When Jesus saw the mother. You can put grandmother in there, that's okay. Jesus stopped. Because of the mother. Listen, I'm from the streets. And I can testify. 
But there's many people out there that are running around that their grandmothers, great-grandmothers, grandfathers taught them about Jesus when they were little. Took them to church when they were little. Prayed over them when they're little. And the reason why they're still alive, the reason why I was still alive, it wasn't because I was smart. It wasn't because I was strong. It's because I had a praying grandmother who prayed for me when I was little, who interceded for me when I was little. It wasn't until about 10 years after my arrest that I realized or learned what my dad did after after I was arrested. Um. My dad told me that the morning of my arrest, he was working graveyard shift, and he was coming home, and the police pulled him over, and he thought he was getting a ticket. But instead, the police said that they're looking for his son for murder, and where was I sleeping at in the house? So they raided my house, and they arrested me. They took me away. My dad watched his baby boy as he get carried away in handcuffs out the city to be sentenced to life. And my dad tells me he saw that image, and the first thing that he did was he went to his room. He went to his room. He shut the door. He ripped off all his clothes, and he laid face down on the ground, and he cried out to God. This is what he said. He said, God, spare my boy. God, spare my boy. I don't know how God did it, but somehow he heard the prayer of a parent. He heard the prayer of a parent. And so I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. If you, have, if you have rebellious family members, if you have rebellious granddaughters, if you have rebellious grandsons or even sons, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing with them the gospel. Keep inviting them to church. Uh, you're about to, someone here is about to move the heart of God on behalf of your relatives, on the behalf of your family, on behalf of your friends. I want to encourage you to continue to stay and stand in the gap as a church, as a church. Be a church that stands in the gap for the neighborhood. I already see that apartment complex or condominium part, half them people are going to be coming to this church. I could already see it. Why? Because we're going to stand in the gap, and it's going to start with prayer. Lord, spare them, people. Have mercy on them. Pull them to you. Touch their hearts in the name of Jesus. The mother, God bless, I want to meet this mama one day in heaven. I want to interview her because she was a nitty-gritty type of mother. She didn't give up. She didn't give up. She didn't throw in the towel. One last reflection. Not only do I want you to think about the young man, not only do I want you to think about the mother, but I want you to think about the compassion of Christ. The compassion. Verse 13 says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He had compassion. He was touched by her tears. He was touched by her tears. The word compassion means to love tenderly. The word compassion means to uh, explode your goodness onto somebody regardless of their condition or position in life. You're, 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 you're exploding your goodness onto them. One thing about the compassion of Christ that is so powerful, it teaches us that God is not just able to help us, but God is willing to help us. One thing the compassion of Christ teaches us, when you study the compassion of Christ, you'll see that Jesus healed the sick, he raised the dead, he fed the poor out of a, a compassionate heart. That Jesus revealed the compassionate heart of the Father. 
He revealed the compassionate heart of the Father. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, in Matthew 9, verse 36, this is what it says, that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He revealed the compassionate heart of the Father, and the compassion of Christ teaches us that God is not just able to help us, but he is willing to help us. See, many of us, we don't have a problem with God's ableness. We sing songs about his sovereignty and how mighty he is. But where a lot of us get off of the bus is his willingness. We, we really don't think that he will pour out his grace upon us. We, we really don't think he will give us a fifth chance and a sixth chance. We, we really don't think that God will answer our prayer. But I'm here to let you know that if you get a revelation of the compassion of Christ, you will see God bending over heaven just waiting to explode his power and his grace into your life when you call upon his mighty name. That's the compassion of Christ. It explodes regardless of your condition or your position. It explodes its goodness onto you. I was, I was sitting down in that one-man cell in the L.A. County Jail, and I was condemned to die a slow death in prison. And I remember I was sitting, and it felt like a cloud of depression was, was crushing me. And I felt, I felt the devil laughing at me. I felt him laughing at me. All of a sudden, I begin to regret not going to church when I should have went to church. All of a sudden, I begin to regret not going to school when I should have been to school. If, if you would have opened that cell door, I would have ran to church. I would have been the first one at First Salem Free Methodist Church. I would have been on the front row ready to worship the Lord. But guess what? For me at that time, it was too late crushed and I remember I heard a I heard a noise in the hallway so I got up and I, I put my face against the door actually it's a bar and I saw get this now I saw an elderly man walking down the tier we called it tier it's a hallway passing out Christian literature get this now I'm in the LA County Jail it is the craziest possibly prison in the United States. They said if you can survive the L.A. County Jail, you can survive anywhere. I just got sentenced to life in prison. I'm a gang member. My life is done. It is dark. It is dingy. I'm kicked out from society. Nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody wants to help me. And I look out and I see an elderly man. Happy Grandparents Day. Not a gang member. Not somebody with tattoos, not somebody buff, not somebody that looks intimidating, but someone that has the gospel pumping in his heart, who is not afraid of the darkness, not afraid to reach out to those that are lost, not afraid to pray for those nobody else wants to touch, not afraid of this world because the gospel is pumping in his heart. Man, if First Salem Free Methodist Church can be that type of church. This elderly man came down the tier. And I didn't want to talk to nobody. I was mad. There's nothing worse than a teenager full of dreams and aspirations and energy stuck in a one-man cell condemned to die a slow death in prison. But this guy, he came to my cell door and he barged into my darkness. And so I got up off of my seat. And I said to myself, I said, you know what, I'm going to drop the bomb on this guy. I'm going to 
got up and I said, Mister, I just got sentenced to life in prison. What can you do for me? What can you do for me? 17 years old, never going to go home, going to die in prison. The judge just condemned me guilty of murder. What are you going to do for me? What could you do for me? And you know, this, this grandpa didn't even budge, didn't even flinch. You know what he did? He had the audacity. He had the bodacious type of faith enough to reach through the darkness of my bars and he grabbed my hand and he said a quiet, not even a loud prayer, not even a, a, a loud prayer, he said a quiet yet powerful prayer over me in the name of Jesus. Paid for me. He walked away that moment through his life, compassion of Christ exploded in the darkest moment of my life. And when nobody else wanted me, the compassion of Christ through his life, through this grandpa, no tattoos, no nothing, just the gospel exploded in my cell, exploded right in my face, regardless of my condition and my position, exploded all over me. A couple days later, I woke up in a prison cell, and God gave me a realization. This is what God taught me. He said, Brian, sooner or later, unless you die first, you're going to wake up in a prison, and you're going to wish, you're going to wish you turned your life over to me when you were young. You're going to wish you surrendered to me. You're going to wish, Brian, unless you die first, you're going to wake up in a prison cell 50 years from now, and you're going to be walking around the prison yard, and you're going to look up to heaven, and you're going to say, man, I wish I would have surrendered my life as a teenager to Christ. When I realized that, uh-uh, I said, whoa, no, I am not going to wait. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to let the next man wait in the next cell. And there, everybody was getting sentenced to life in prison. But I'm not going to wait. And I remember, I remember I was 17 years old. And I got down on my knees in a one-man cell. I didn't even know how to pray. It was more of a grunt. It was more of a sigh. But I, but I cried out to the God my dad taught me about when I was little. I cried out to God. I said, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. I can't explain it to you, my brothers and sisters. Who could explain the grace of God? Who can explain it? It's a wonder. Somehow God heard the broken prayer of a teenage boy condemned to die a slow death in prison. He heard my prayer. I got up. And guess what? Nothing changed. <laughs> Everything was still the same. But something happened in my heart. Something exploded in my heart. And God gave me the grace to study his word. God gave me the strength to go to church. God gave me the strength to seek his face. God gave me the strength to worship him. And then God gave me a vision. He messed up and gave me a vision. I was 18 years old. God gave me a vision in the midst of darkness. That's what I love about Pastor Andrew. God has given him a vision. And 
God gave me a vision at 18 years old. You know what he told me? He said, Brian, if you serve me and you don't give up, eventually I'm going to break you out of this prison life sentence so that you could impact the world with the gospel. God gave me a vision in the midst of my darkness when I was dying. I wrote down the vision. I put it in my back pocket. I began to prepare for the vision. I began to pray for the vision. I began to, I cried over the vision, and I just began to serve the Lord. I began to serve the Lord one step at a time, one step at a time, just one step at a time, one step at a time. That's it, just one step at a time. First day on the church, just one step, one step, one step. And every step I took towards God, he took a step towards me, and not only that, he gave me the strength to take another step. Ten years passed by. Thirteen years passed by, I was still in prison. After 16 years in prison, God touched the governor of California. His name was Arnold Schwarzenegger, a.k.a. the Terminator. And I don't know what he told Arnold, but I like to believe he told him what he told Pharaoh 4,000 years ago. Let my people go. After 16 years in prison, when everybody said I was going to die, when everybody said uh, I was going to spend the rest of my life in prison, God fulfilled the promise of his word, and he set me free. And guess what he did? He gave me back to my mama. Gave me back to my mama. Gave me back to my mama. I want to show you a picture. Today, God has totally restored my life. I've been married now for 20 years. Uh, that's a whole different other story. We'll have to talk about that next time. My wife, she's a co-pastor in my church. She's preaching today four services at our church. She's on fire. She could preach the paint off the wall. I got three beautiful kids. They love the Lord. They know their scriptures. The Lord has blessed me to serve an awesome church, Chapel of Change. We've grown from seven people to uh, almost close to 1,000 on, on Sundays. Our vision is to launch a thousand churches from our church. We're believing God for big things. We're believing God to change lives. Over a thousand people have got saved at our church since the opening it up four and a half years ago. Over a thousand people have surrendered to Christ, and this is just the beginning. When you start to see people surrender to Christ at your church, make sure you celebrate that because that is a sign of God working in your church. Baptized dozens and dozens of people. Today, my life is totally restored by the grace of God. And I'm going to end it with this. My story is not the story of a young boy who endured 16 years in the darkness of prison. That's not the story. You got that? You got the wrong thing. My story is the story of our mighty God who stayed faithful to his promise. Stayed faithful to his word. And so... Whatever problem you have today, whatever you're going through today, I'm here to let you know that Jesus has the power to set you free. What he's done in my life, he can do with yours if you'll just surrender and give your life to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. With every head bowed and every eye closed, before I turn it over to Pastor Andrew, I don't want to step down without giving anybody an opportunity 
to either surrender to Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life to him. Maybe you're here today and you veered off course. Maybe you messed up. We want to let you know the compassion of God is here to forgive you and to heal you and to get you back going. This church is going somewhere and it needs people to serve and to, and to go with it. So if you're here this morning and you need to surrender to Christ either for the first time or rededicate your life to the Lord, I want to just say a prayer with you. I'm going to ask that you raise your hand right where you're at. Just raise your hand. Is there anybody here that needs to rededicate? I see you. I see you. Anybody else needs to rededicate their life to the Lord or surrender to Christ for the first time? Keep your hand up. You can keep your hand up if you lifted up your hand. Anyone else? I see you. Hallelujah. We'll, we'll wait a couple moments. We'll wait a couple moments. Anyone else needs to surrender for the first time or rededicate your life to the Lord? You need to get right with God. The Bible says if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you. What I want to do is those that lifted up your hands, I want to pray for you personally. I want to ask that you come to the altar. Those two who lifted up your hands, if you'd just be so courageous enough to walk down to the altar, I believe God would do something special in your life today. If you, if you lifted up your hands, come to the altar right here. If you didn't lift up your hands and you, you need to surrender to, to the Lord, come up to the altar right here. I want to challenge you to come surrender to Jesus today. We'll wait a couple moments for you. We'll wait a couple moments for you. Hallelujah. Come and surrender to Jesus. God is doing a new thing at First Salem Church, Salem First Free Methodist Church. He's doing a new thing. And we need to get right in order to get going. We need to get right. Oh, this is a word for somebody here. We need to get right with God before we get going. Anybody else? Anybody else come to the altar? Hallelujah. One last, one last plea. If you need to surrender to the Lord for the first time or rededicate your life to the Lord, come to the altar right now. I want to pray with you. Hallelujah. I want to ask everybody else who remains in your seat just to stay in an atmosphere of prayer. Before we pray, I want to those that stood up here, look at me for a second. I want you to look at me for a second because I want you to understand what you're doing. You've come here to signify that you are surrendering your heart to Jesus today. Is that true? Do you agree with that? You're repenting from your sins, and you're surrendering your heart to Jesus, and you're saying, Lord, come into my heart to use me. Is that true? Amen. I want you to know, if you're not ready, you're not ready, but you need to, you need to know what you're getting into because your life is going to change. Your life is going to change. So let me lead you in prayer from your heart. Don't just repeat it out of your head, but this got to be from your heart. I want to encourage you to, to say this prayer with me. Lord God, I am sorry. Please forgive me. I messed up. But today, I turn from my sins. And I turn back to you. I surrender my heart to you, Jesus. Come into my life.
as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Let's just stay right here. Just stay. Let me just pray for you. Father God, I pray for everybody who came up. Father God, I thank you, Father God. I thank you, Lord. They're indicating, Father God, their desire to surrender and to turn to you, Father God. I pray that you strengthen them, Lord God. Help them, Father God. Use them in a mighty way, Father God. Use their gifts, Lord God. Use their talents, Father God. Use their strength, Father God. In Jesus' name, Father God. Use what they got left and multiply it, Father God. I pray, Father God. I pray that you anoint them, Father God. Help them, Father God. Give them faith. Give them strength, Father God, to move forward, Father God. In the name of Jesus, Father God, I pray for this family, Father God. You have a calling upon this family, Father God. Your heart, your hand is upon this family, Father God. And you're going to use this family, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Heal them, Father God. Help them, Father God. Keep them together, Father God, in Jesus' name. I speak life over this family in Jesus' name. I speak life over everybody here today in Jesus' name. You're not alone. You're not alone. No more low self-esteem. No more depression in the name of Jesus. No more depression in the name of Jesus. No more depression in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray, Father God, for healing, Lord. Healing, Lord. Strength, Father God. You're not alone. You're not alone. This is a word for you. You're not alone. You're not alone. This church is here for you. This church is here for you. You're not alone. I want to call up Pastor Andrew. Before I dismiss you, I want to call up Pastor Andrew. I want to encourage you guys. Take the next step. Take the next step. Some of you need to join the first class, fresh start class. Some of you, your next step is to come back next Sunday. Whatever your next step is, take it. Because as you take that next step, God is going to give you the strength to take the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. God bless you guys. You may be dismissed back here. Just hold up for one second, you guys. Caleb, will you get the names and their numbers? Because what we really want to do is we're going to walk with you. We're going to walk with you, bro. I'm proud of you. God's going to help you guys. We want to help you. We're going to give your names. We're going to do a fresh start class at 7 o'clock. We're going to teach you about the Bible. We're going to walk with you, pray with you, hang out with you. Because we are behind you. Are we behind them, Salem? Come on, man. Are we behind them? We're proud of you. It's courageous what you've done. And so Caleb's is going to get your name and your number. We're not there to bug you. We're there to help you. Joe knows, man. Don't you know, bro? Come on, man. He knows. It's about you guys. It's about Jesus. He's going to give you a fresh start. He's going to help you have a brand new start. Forget about the past. I don't care what the devil says. You got a new future. It's going to work out for you because God is with you. So once you get um, Caleb gets a name, we'll go for that. But let's give the Lord a hand clap for Brother Brian. I'm so grateful for him and for Jonathan too, man. Jonathan's just been encouraged with just being with his pastor, but to see what God's doing. So we're just excited. We're very excited. How many know that God's going to win some souls in this church? Amen. God doesn't want to see empty rooms over there.
He wants to fill the classrooms, fill the youth, fill the men, fill the women, fill the children. God has a way bigger vision than we could imagine. And he's the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. He hasn't changed. So we thank the Lord for today, and I just want to just close in prayer, and I just thank everybody. Just when you see these people, you pray for them, you think about them, and we're just very grateful what God is doing in the midst of Salem First Free Methodist Church. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for every person. We thank you for the souls that came up today, Lord God. Heaven is rejoicing. Once again, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for Brother Brian and for Jonathan. We thank you for his wife, uh, Brother Brian's wife, just preaching the paint off the walls today. We just pray that you just continue to bless us and help us, Father. Let us not hold back. Let us have the audacity to just have faith that's beyond measure. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Go in peace. God bless every one of you. Thank you again.